tired of feeling like you're spinning all the plates in your design business and at any moment they could all come crashing down? Are you feeling like you're so close to breaking through to the next level, but those consistent projects still aren't flowing your way? Are you ready to finally take your business from a hobby to 100K and beyond? Then welcome to the Six Figure Designer Podcast. I'm talking all the techniques you need in your design business to start paying yourself, get great clients, and finally break through that five-figure ceiling. I'm your host, Pamela Durkin, and I am just tickled to death today to have our, our guest, Andrew Davis, with us today. You are going to be as enamored with him as I am once you hear all the wonderful things he has to say. But before I let him get in and start doing his thing, and of course, we have matching cool glasses, so that, that just instantaneously gives us a connection. But let me tell you a little bit about Andrew. He's a best-selling author and speaker, and before building and selling his thriving digital marketing agency, he produced for NBC and worked on the Muppets. How cool is that? That makes so much sense. And you'll and our guests will understand that as we start talking. Um, he's appeared at the New York Times, he's been on the Today Show, and he's crafted some documentary films and award-winning content for tiny startups and Fortune 500 companies. Andrew teaches business leaders how to grow their businesses, transform their cities, and leave their legacy. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Love it. So excited to be marketing by design. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so this is how we met. I don't even know if you remember how we met, but we met oh, yeah. at the Design Influencers Conference um, several months ago, and you were a speaker. And the thing that first of all, made me fall in love, like right away, was that your, you know, your entrance song was turned down for what? Of course, I wrote it in my notes. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. <laughs> so, um, you know, first of all, you just hit it with a bang, and then your whole look and your energy. And I think that, you know, it's so important, we kind of talk, you know, I like to talk to people about magnetic marketing techniques. And to me, like you had me at hello, right? And so how, you know, how did you get started doing this and sort of figuring out that that's that's the way for you to um to reach people well i i mean i ran a marketing agency for a long time and we struggled with lead gen in the beginning um you know we had tried everything we did we were a content marketing agency primarily we did lots of video uh because my business partner jim costco and i came out of television so that was kind of our specialty um and I got into speaking because it turned out it was the best lead gen tool we had, which we didn't realize until I was invited to speak at a, an event. I went to an event as an attendee and all of a sudden I showed up and the woman running the event, I was early, which I, I'm like one of those people that likes to be early. And I walked in and the woman was like, hey, welcome. Like, I don't know who you are, but you're like the first person to show up this morning. And we just had someone cancel for 10 a.m. for a breakout session like, do you want to speak at 10 a.m.? And it was like 8.15. I was like, uh, I mean, I guess I can, but what's the topic? And she's like, I don't care about the topic. Like, we just need someone in that room. Like, talk about whatever you want. You can tell people that somebody canceled. So I went back to my room and I put together a presentation as fast as I could and then went downstairs an hour later and presented it. And at the end of the presentation, I had a bunch of people come up and said, like, is this what you do? Do you, you know, can you help us with what you talked about? And next thing you know, the business was growing. So you know, the speaking for me wasn't an intentional um, move. It was just something that ended up 
you know, happening. And, uh, and it is a tremendous, it, it's a tremendously gentle for a service-based business, I think, um, especially in the B2B world. So that's how I got started. And I love I, that. And, you know, it makes me think of the saying that I, that I love is called money love speed, right? And what you did is you, instead of shrinking from that opportunity, seized it, right? And yeah. just said, we're going to do the scary thing and put ourselves out there and come up with something to say <laughs> in an hour. And uh, we're going to see what happens. Kind of, you know, we were talking about this a little beforehand, kind of like this podcast. I'm, you know, sort of figuring it out yeah. and, and working my way. And so you did that. And I think that that is such an awesome lesson to teach designers because one of the things that i've noticed is that we're so creative and we have such gifts and you know you got to speak in front of a ton of designers but we you know excuse my french are most times scared shitless to do the things that we really want to do and so you really talked about um being curious and being limitless and just going into the world with that natural curiosity, which as designers, we are inherently, you know, curious. Yeah. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how curiosity can really help us grow in our business and also, you know, kind of become magnetic, like things happen when we become <laughs> curious and put our things out there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is one of my mottos. I, it's it actually, it, I think it really fuels um, growth uh, and learning and experimentation. Um, and I think it helps get rid of your fear of failure too, because the, you know, if you're more willing to try again, you're just, you know, the, the last failure seems like it was ages ago. If you've done 10 things that you experimented with since then, even if they didn't go great, at least they went better than the big failure, quote unquote, uh, as, it, as it appears in your mind. So yeah, I mean, for me, curiosity has fueled most of my it's, it's fueled all the good decisions in my life. They didn't seem like it at the time, but I've always <laughs> looked at the world thinking, wow, you know, why does that work that way? Or how does it really work? Or, uh, you know, diving into the kind of the deep questions. And I think a lot of us, especially in the social media age we live in, we take experts at their word. You know, if we see 10 hacks or five great tips to, or three ways you can increase your business like revenue in five days you know we we just believe that that's the way to do it um, and i think the more curious you get the more uh, answers you find for yourself instead of you know just taking the best practice and conventional wisdom and kind of working it um, in the hopes that it'll work for you the truth is and I, I know pam you know this and i think a lot of designers know this like your constraints and your creativity and your environment and your clients are different than those people preaching the best practice or the how-to. And the more you get curious about your, you know, answering the questions that are important to you, I think the more growth you'll see in yourself, but more importantly, even in your business. So I encourage lots of people to stop thinking they need to be the expert and instead be a visionary. Try to answer the questions that people haven't even considered asking maybe. Um, and you'll find yourself in uncharted water where there is no right answer, but you can have an answer that challenges people to think in a new way. And that's how you leave your legacy and grow your business by being someone that people are like, wow, I never thought of it that way. This is mind altering. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to work with you. 
I agree. And I also think you said something interesting there. Well, there's a couple things that I wanted to circle back to. One is failure. And we're so afraid of it. And I think more and more people need to talk about the fact that failure is is a part of growth. It's a part of owning a business. And it's actually a good thing because if you've never failed, then you've never done anything, right? That's so and, true. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if we can start reframing failure as opportunities to learn, um, maybe it wasn't as successful as we hoped it would be, but what did we learn from it, right? What did we, what, what made it, um, what's the aha moment that came from it? So I love that. And then um, the other thing you talked about is just um, getting uncomfortable and you know, the more it's like anything else, it's a muscle, right? The more you do it, yeah. um, the more you're like, that's fine. You know, you kind of have to just be like, we're going to do this and we're going to see what happens and what we can learn for, from it. So I seriously think we need to have T-shirts and bumper stickers made with that I mean, to start <laughs> getting awesome. comfortable with being. I think I was thinking of coming up with a T-shirt that says I live in uncomfortable land and here I am like that's this is good. me. I am here because that's, that's the reality good. of it. So I love that you say all of those things and and also just starting to and I think you touched on this really is is questioning conventional wisdom. Why has it always been that way? Why does every design firm have to be set up this way? Why are you considered a real designer because you do it this way as opposed to something else? And I see you nodding, so I'm sure you can add something to this. It's just sort of questioning that status quo, right? Yeah, do it your way. <laughs> like, you know, there's no reason. I, here's what I found running an agency. I didn't know anything about marketing agencies when I started my company with Jim Costco. And um, I mean, we literally knew nothing. We just knew that we could tell great stories and those stories would help, you know, increase revenue if we inspired people to buy things they didn't know they needed and, and they actually add value to people's lives. Um, and so one of our first clients, we, we pitched them. They were really excited. Even in the meeting, they said, you know, how do you work? Like, do you, are you a project-based agency or do you work on a retainer? And we had no idea what a retainer was. I don't was. know. <laughs> yeah. We, well, Jim was like, we both looked at each other and I don't know if they saw it, but I definitely could see that he was like, I don't know what we do. Uh, and there's so a little panic he, happening in the yeah, room there. So Jim, yeah. So Jim was like, oh, you know what? I'm, unfortunately, we'd love to talk about how we work, but we do need to run. We have a meeting right now. So why don't we follow up after this meeting with, uh, you know, how we work and we can go from there. And we went to the car. This was before we had the internet on our phones. And he opened up a dictionary that he used. To, he was a writer. He kept in his trunk. And we looked up retainer. And we're like, oh, yeah, retainer. That's how we work. Like, that's how idiotic we were. And I, I bring it up because I think that kind of naivete um, and taking a view of the world that is a very beginner's mind will help you shape the best experience for your clients. Like just because everybody else does it this way doesn't mean that you need to do it this way. How can you create and craft a better experience and a better design and uh, you know a better uh, output at the end of the day for the client you serve instead of asking, you know, instead of just inferring that this is the way I, it's been taught and doing it, you're not right. really creating a different experience. Um, and you know what? I, I have, um, well, I had, I had a quick recommendation <laughs> that I just thought of, Pam. I think one of the best ways to get uncomfortable, um, an easy way to kind of ease into it. Don't say it's getting naked and running out in the street, Andrew. No, that's but not that's your advice. really a good mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, PG, like let's get go. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, keep going. PG. Uh, I was going to suggest going to a conference or an event that you would never otherwise go to. 
I have learned so much, you know, by having the opportunity to speak at events that I would never attend. It never occurred to me that this would be a great way to meet new people, learn new things. And it is uncomfortable at first because you're like, why am I at a pavement contractor conference? Like, I don't know anything about paving parking lots. Like, I don't know these people. I don't understand what they do. Um, and you feel really uncomfortable. But by lunchtime on the first day, you will meet so many great people. You'll learn so many new things. You'll have such a new view on the world and you'll right. see the world in a very different way. So, you know, I think if you, if you can start questioning the stuff you're doing by just getting uncomfortable by going to an event that, that looks, you know, where those businesses look at the world in a very different way and they have a very different client experience, I think you'll start to see parallels where you could transform not just your business, but the industry by just thinking in a new and inventive way. I agree. And I think that um, we can learn so much about how to run better businesses for ourselves by looking outside our industry. Hence the yeah. reason that, you know, I'm even talking to you because there's things that are happening outside of, of our design industry that we would have never thought of because it's just not in our normal thought process. So to see um, how other people approach challenges, I mean, the challenges everybody always wants either more clients or better clients or a combination yeah. of both, right? I mean, isn't that what everybody wants? That's and Everybody so, wants that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what everybody, if you ask somebody, what do you want? You're like, I want more business. Um, and so going to other industries and hearing how they approach that problem, how do we get more business? How do we make ourselves stand out is unique to see how they approach it and what kind of tools they use. So I love that. Um, you know, the thought of going out into the world, basically, and putting yourselves in situations that you maybe wouldn't have thought of before. That's so incredibly smart. And <laughs> I love that. And then just really understanding, like you said earlier, understanding what's going on in your world, like what your clients want from you, what they ultimately are asking you for, even if it's not normally done that way in this industry. How could you meet that need? Um, maybe not exactly how the client wants it to be met, but I mean, I think that, you know, just saying we can't, we don't do it that way. Well, why not? Like why, what's the workaround? How can we think yeah. about ways to make that experience better? And doesn't that make us stand out? And isn't that what everybody wants? That's yeah. I actually met a, um, I think he's an architect and I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna draw a blank on his name, but I'll send it to you. So you know who it is, Pam, after this, but, um, I met an architect, and maybe this is a famous story in the design world, so stop me if it is, but this architect, um, he's from New England, and he works primarily on like Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard, and he has high-end clients now, but one of his first clients um, hired him to come design their house on Cape Cod, I think it was in Martha's Vineyard, and um, he went into the meeting, uh, it, it's, it's a famous children's book author who... Um, I'm drawing a blank on her name as well. This story is falling apart. This so is fast. an anyway. excellent story full of fun anyway. facts and figures, yeah. Andrew. Carry on. Don't worry, okay. people. We'll put it in the notes. It's in the notes. Yeah, they'll, they'll It'll be in the, it, notes. Okay, it's in the yep. notes. So uh, so he went to um, you know, the property and it was empty. Like we're talking empty lot, right? And so, you know, his normal client practice, the client practice he had been taught by the architects that taught him was, you know, like we're going to like talk to the client and they're going to give us what they're thinking and what they want out of their new house and what kind of doors and windows and style they are looking for. And she, he was like, you know, let's sit down and, you know, talk about the view. And she was like, no, I'd like to take you for a tour on the house. 
And he was like, but yeah, there's no house here. And she walked him around. And this is, this is like, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was basically like, Hey, so right here, um, this is our kitchen, but we expanded the kitchen and we added on, you know, the door used to be here and there were two steps down, but we, you know, we I remember when, um, aunt Judy like fell down the step and she broke her knee. Like, yeah, that, that was a, like funny day, but we ended up like building out here and we took the stairs out and we put in and he was like, what are you doing? So this went on for like an hour and he's trying to train. Take God care. love him for letting her go on for an hour. That's, oh our, that's another well, issue with famous, our industry. <laughs> I think, well, I think she was famous and he didn't Oh, so wanna, he's being very you know, he respectful. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what he realized by the end of this 45 minute conversation is that she had already imagined everything that had happened in the house that Aunt Judy had really broken her leg when she fell Oh, she was projecting. Yes. So Amazing. he designed the house based on the entire story to, down to the point at which when you go into their kitchen, the old um, like rail is still there from where the stairs used to be, which don't exist because it's a brand new house to get through to the kitchen. He designed the stories into the house and she was elated. So here's what happened. He changed his entire practice to work this way. So he now only works with clients by like big clients, like the Obamas by saying, Hey, look, we're not going to talk about the house. I want you to talk about what you want to do in the house. What does the house look like in the future? Like, how do you get up in the morning? Where do you go? And he'll make decisions based on all of those things. Like, you know, I love to take an outdoor shower. Okay, great. Well, that means when do you take it in the mornings? I'll take it in the mornings that then they'll, he'll start to place that outdoor shower in a place where it gets the morning sun instead of just putting that outdoor shower because they said they need an outdoor shower um, and it, he's become unbelievably well respected because he's helping people imagine the perfect day in the perfect house and he forces people including the obamas to fill out a journal he says imagine it's your like your 10th year in this house tell me what you did today yes and how this house and, has loved you through the years yes basically. And yes. that's what they do. And, that's and you know so what? Is this this is great. Practice? No, I mean, it kind of is, but we've watered ourselves down a little bit saying, oh, clients would never do that, or they this can't be done, or it's not done that way. And I think that, again, you bring up an excellent point that if the Obamas can fill out the journal, then, exactly. um, you know, I think anybody can. So I think it's, you know, I was just reading, I've just been reading this book by Jesse Cole. Um, called Find Your Yellow Tux, which you probably yeah. have heard Yeah, he's of. awesome. Jesse's I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we're doing a whole book club on it. We're wearing yellow. We've got the whole yellow. <laughs> oh, I love it. Hot playlist going. We're, we're getting That's ready. That's awesome. But he talks about it. You know, people don't buy what you do. It, they buy why you do it. Yeah. And this is, you know, case in point here is, you know, we're selling a dream. So let's yep. sell the dream. We're all kind of caught up in the steps. And we mm -hmm. think that makes us good designers is to sell the steps to ultimately get them to the goal. And I'm not saying that that isn't also part of it, but to your point, going back to your first marketing story, you were selling a dream to somebody, right? And you didn't yeah. even know how you were going to fulfill that dream, but they That's bought right. into that dream <laughs> so, so much. They were like, let's go. How do we go? And you were just like, yeah. oh crap, we don't know how we let's go. go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so why aren't we doing that more in our design businesses? Right. I think, uh, you know, like I love Jesse Cole and I love Simon Sinek. And I know that they've spent a lot of time convincing people that, um, Mark, like your business is about why you do it. I think that's really appealing. I, I want to challenge it a little bit. Cause I thought a lot about this. Great. I think I love they it. buy how you do it. 
um, more than they buy why. Here's what I mean. I think how you do everything delivers an experience, especially in a service-based business like, uh, like design. Um, it sets up how you feel about the experience you've had. Now, why you do it that way may play into it, but I think more important than why is how, like how does it feel when I experience working with you? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's really important that you have an approach that feels different from everybody else's. And I think what Mark, I think as his name was, has done is he's essentially said to people, every client he works with, like, if you don't have time to fill out the journal, I totally get it. But let me refer you to someone else who doesn't work this way. Because right. how we do it is unbelievably important, right? Like, this is the experience we deliver on. So, and Jesse, I think it's the how he does it that actually has made him a success, not the why as much. Well, and I sense? agree with you. I agree with you. But I also think, I think to take that one step further, it's not all about the person delivering the service, but how you're making the person buying the service. That's what I mean. Feel you're selling that aspiration, yes. how they're going to feel, how, what, what dream you're fulfilling for them. Um, yes. which then in turn makes the person providing those services feel validated, feel, um, like they're worthy, feel like they're yes. providing something special for their clients, which also has value. Um, as creatives, we all want to feel like we're doing something that has meaning, right? That has yes. substance or a long lasting, um, legacy yeah, to legacy. your point, yeah, that's to right. your point, look at you, we're all tying it up in a little bow. We're, you know, creating that legacy. So I think all of that has to play into, you know, why are you doing this? But then how are you creating this experience for the customers so that they fall yes. in love with, with the ends? result yes. that that you're ultimately providing right yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah i think it's i think if we started talking about client and customer experiences as emojis attached to every interaction like your imagine that your customer or client has to put an emoji attached to every email you send every picture you send every meeting you have like what emoji are they attaching to it that's the sum or the average of those is going to be the experience and I think right. it's really important that we think more strategically about every one of those pieces. Touch Why points. are we doing it is important and how we do it is even more important um, yes. because the steps could be the same as someone else as a designer right down the street. But, but if the, the, how, the way you implement it feels different, it's going to make all the difference in the world. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think the steps are, you know, the first step, you know, the steps are there. The steps have to be yeah. there. But then yeah, right. again, what the interaction is, what the give and take is between you and the client. And I love that emoji thought. I mean, I think we need to, you know, granularly think about every step in our process and how we interact with our clients from the time that they see us, whatever that first touch is, right? Website, phone call, uh -huh. email, Instagram, whatever. Um, and I don't think we think about that as much as we should. I think that that first impression, you know, somebody said, when you first meet a potential customer, it's like you're inviting someone to your home and you've got, you know, you should do it like fresh baked cookies. You know, there's apple yes. pie in the oven. Yes. Like, how are you making them feel like this is amazing? Right. And so I love true. that. I love that. You're like, let's, let's put an emoji on every touch point so that we can see how we're doing and thinking about yeah. that from a client standpoint, you know, um, 
makes all the difference in the world, not just the gift at the end, which is what, you know, there's a big focus on the thank you gift that we give clients at the end of a project. But I'm like, how do we make them feel great before they hire us, before they even, you know, give us any money? How do we make them feel great once they do that, make the decision? So, yeah, it's like a loop of little interactions that you're trying to build. That's what an experience is. It's all the interactions, not, yeah, not just the client gift at the end or, the first meeting, you know, it, like, I think people refer people that they, where they've, the experience has been so different that they felt the difference and can't resist talking to other people about it. Um, I think that's what builds a really successful, you know, business, especially in the design space where yes, it, you know, the output is really important, but the experience really defines who you are and how you are to work with. I think that's the, that's so important. So smart. And then, you know, I just want to point one other thing. It's not this the beginning and the end, but, you know, how do we make the messy middle feel great too? And there's, there's a lot of messy middle. Everyone should be <laughs> nodding their heads because, you know, there's project fatigue that happens through every yep. design project where everyone's just over it. Like they're tired, they're done. So how do we, you know, create special moments in those times when it's hard. Um, yeah. But it has to be done anyway. So I, have, I love- We can go through, you want to go through six things I think you could do real yes. quick? I just, Let's I just, do your six things. Okay, there's six things. This is good. Uh, this is building curiosity because now you have to stay for all six if you're listening and you're like, I, I think I have to go inside right now. Now you have to listen. Okay, here we go. There, okay, six things you can do. Uh, these are like small things you can do between any interaction. So- um, we could even try with decision fatigue, but the first one is like raising anticipation. So let's say you just booked a client meeting. It's a prospect you've never met with before. How can you raise anticipation for the first meeting so that they're more excited about the meeting than they would be if you had done nothing else? So like raising anticipation is such an important part of the entire experience. Um, the second one is maximize the honeymoon phase. And this is, ex- this is one of the things that can help re- remove that like project fatigue. Um, basically what you want to do is anytime there is a little win before you get to fatigue, you need to help celebrate and maximize that win so that everybody feels it in a really deep way. So instead of sending like one big thank you gift at the end, as soon as you have a win, send a small thank you gift that gets them to think, wow, we are making progress. This is awesome. Things are happening. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You've got to take those small wins so that they feel bigger than they really were. Um, and you'll know which are the, the ones that need that versus the client probably doesn't. They'll just be like, thanks. I like the paint swatches or whatever, right? Like if you think that needs to be a big win because they decided on a paint color and they're going to stick with it, like you need to celebrate it for them. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, that's number two. The next one is re-inspire them. And this is definitely a big one for project fatigue. If you, it, people need to be reminded why they started this project in the first place, right? They need to get back to that very first feeling when they first met with you, the excitement and enthusiasm. And we need to do a better job of reminding them of that. Not like, hey, remember when you we were like started this out in the beginning, but even when you- They're like, no, we don't remember any of that. Yeah. No, <laughs> they never remember when they signed a contract either. Like we signed a contract like 10 months ago. You're like, no, you didn't. You actually yeah. didn't. So I go. love this one. <laughs> Yeah. So if you can like, if you can send them something that goes, oh man, yeah, that is the end goal. And I can't wait That's you're going to help them keep going and keep them motivated. Right. Um, the next one is answer their trigger questions. This is a big one. 
trigger questions are like the first questions that pop into their mind anytime like a specific situation is occurring in the client process. It could be really simple. Like it's your first meeting and you know, they're, they're wondering like, how much is this going to cost me? Like, is Pam expensive? Like, I'm not sure if I can do this. Like you want to address that before they've asked it because you build a huge amount of trust really quick, especially right. if you know they're thinking that, right? Like if you've been to 10 client meetings and 10 out of 10 clients have at least said that in the first meeting, just answer it up front because then they're gonna be like, wow, I feel better. That What a relief, right? Um, now I know what, where it we stand. It builds trust too because it feels huge like you're anticipating, anticipating their needs. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next one is remove friction. And this is one where you should get curious and you should question the conventional wisdom. Mm -hmm. You should question why other people do it that way. Um, if you can remove any step in the process, any small thing that you're, they're supposed to do that makes the experience feel different and feel better, then you need to do it. Remove as much friction as possible. If that means other people give people, you know, 10 different like, you know, de designs to choose from, don't do that. Just give them one and say, this is the best design. Like we did that as an agency. One of the rules at our agency was we, we pitch one idea and one idea only. It's the best idea. Yes. And most agencies come in and they're like, we have three concepts we want to show you today. And we had clients who said, well, do you have anything else? And we'd be like, no, this is the best idea. Like I do that in my own business. I don't, people throw, yes. show three different ideas. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like yes. just show them the one, one. this is That's my recommendation. It. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good one. So remove friction um, whenever you can. And then the last one, number six, drum roll. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, it's called scaling camaraderie. Now this might be hard if you're just a solo designer without a team, um, but you can also do it with partners that you work with. And I'm sure you don't right. work alone on these projects. But scaling camaraderie is about building trust between your client and the people behind your brand, right? Not just you, but like who else can you introduce them to that are part of the team. Because if you can introduce them to four people, like in your company or in your, you know, purvey, contractors, friends, whoever you work with, they will be much more loyal for longer because they've built a relationship, not just with you right. as the face of the brand, but with a team of people that all trust and respect you and, and, and uh, you know, see you as a valuable piece of the puzzle. So scaling camaraderie is really important. And if you can do that at any point in the project, or the relationship with the client, you want to do it in a way where they all of a sudden can transfer trust quickly and, and you'll build really deep relationships with clients. Which is, we love building deep relationships because then that turns into referrals and long-term um, yes. long term relationships. So many of us have had clients for 20 years, right? So it's an amazing experience to do all that. I love your six ways. It's amazing. We're going to put that in the notes so that everyone can have access to that too. And, you know, we've packed a lot in here and I just, um, I just love talking to you. Can you tell I'm just like all a flutter. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering if you have in, you know, cause we're wrapping things up. Do you have some words of advice or something that stuck with you throughout your career that is really, you know, stayed with you for a long period of time that you could share with our audience? Oh man, I feel like there are lots of those, but the, here, let me, one of the things I try to live by um, is, and I think it's relevant to the conversation, which is why I'll use this one, but it's, I like to try to live my business life specifically, and even my personal life to a certain extent with this, like, no what ifs mantra. Like, I think we tend to get into this habit where we're like, 
what if I did this? Or what if I did that? Or what if I don't do this? Or what if I don't do that? And I think when you're asking those questions, it's, it's pointing at something deeper that you need to get to, to, to decide why you're even asking that question. Like, why right. are you asking a what if question? Either do it or don't do it. Um, and I think if you open up your world to less what ifs, and you'll actually find yourself taking chances you didn't think you'd take, you know, before, um, you'll, you'll, you'll fail at some, but you'll see some successes and you'll surprise yourself. You'll be more confident and you'll get more comfortable being uncomfortable. So I think the less you start wondering about the, the future potential, um, Right. You know, having no what ifs makes a life that is really worth living, both as a professional and as a person. And I think it's served me well, you know, like a, instead of questioning what's my next best career move, just treating it like an adventure and saying, you know what, this is the best idea right now. Like, let's go for it. Cause I don't want to ask a bunch of what ifs and hypotheticals. They'll just get me confused and muddled. So, so that, I think that's my advice. I love that. I think that's really good. And I think, again, we, we've come up with yet another T-shirt design with the circle and the line with the what ifs. And yeah, that's good. We could have like a whole Etsy shop started at the end of this podcast. So and I think For that sure. c- comes back to like something that you feel like you should be doing in your gut. Um, when we what if ourselves, I think we just yeah. get scared and we're like, well, should I do this? Should I try this? Yeah. I don't know. And I think that's more of what comes up is that fear of what if it doesn't, what if it doesn't work? Right. Yes. exactly. Um, so if we can follow our, our gut a little bit more, I think that could be a good thing. Uh, so the last thing I want to say is, is there anything you've got cooking that you want to share with our audience? Cause of course I would love for them to find you and we will have all your contact information, but if anything's going on special that you want to talk sure. about. <laughs> There's nothing specifically like right now that I'm working on. Um, next year, I'm working on trying to figure out how influence works. That's one of my like big questions I'm asking. Like, how does actually how does it actually work? Um, so that's like my project. If you want to keep up with my projects, you can find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, um, that's a good place to find me, or YouTube, um, or my Loyalty Loop videos. Um, so, and you can just search Loyalty Loop Andrew Davis, and you'll find them. But I don't have anything real spectacular to announce or anything, unfortunately, Pam. Oh, just just your regular self, just following you is what everyone needs to be doing. So we're going to make sure we have all so nice. that contact information in there. And I just want to thank you so much for being so gracious to, you know, allowing me to come up to you after your talk at the Design Influencers Conference and say, hey, you want to maybe be on my fledgling new podcast. So thank you so much for just being open to taking that leap and coming on and sharing your wisdom with our audience. I think that they're going to get so much out of this. So thank you again. I appreciate it so much. Well, thank you for getting comfortable being uncomfortable and trying something new and launching something that you never knew how to do and just kill. This is what it's all about. So anything I can do to encourage that, that's why I I'm happy to help. So anytime reach out and for the rest of the designers listening. Yeah. Reach out too. I'm happy to help. Love it. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Six Figure Designer Podcast. If you're ready to make six figures in your interior design business, then check out my Design Business Bootcamp. Our next session starts soon. So let's get you to six figures stat.